So at our Tuesday night group that we have, uh, we had a gentleman talk about how he likes to re-watch this particular movie, particularly whenever it's on TV, he'll re-watch this movie because he loves the movie. And as he was telling us about this movie, his wife was kept elbowing him, saying, don't give away the ending, don't give away the ending. The more you talk about it, the more you're going to give away the ending. It was just really this really fun interaction. It was like, Mike and Bev, come on. Uh, but I won't tell you who it was. Uh, but I'd like to just know, just to help me get to know you, how many of y'all like to re-watch movies? I'm just curious. Okay, so I'm obviously the minority. Um, I can't stand rewatching stuff. It's not efficient. Like, you've got the storyline. Let's move forward. Let's get something new. Um, but as I've gotten older, there are a few things that I will reread or rewatch. Just a few. For example, it may not surprise you, uh, C.S. Lewis is the guy I'll reread. Um, just finished Mere Christianity for I don't know how many times uh, a month ago. And I got a friend that I'm reading with it again. I like rereading certain things, but I usually don't like going back and tilling over the same land I've already tilled. I say all that to say this morning I'm going to break my own pattern. We're going back over the same passage of Scripture we did last week. That's right. Actually, I'm just going to preach the same sermon. I didn't have time to prepare. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Although you never know when that may happen. Uh, but... We're in the middle of a series. We're in the middle of a series where we're walking through these three psalms that tell us something about how we can sing our story as Christians. And the reason we're going to walk back through, and not the whole psalm, but the meat of the psalm, Psalm 105, is that I think there's a layer, a depth to the psalm that we didn't catch on the first go-around. And like most, most, most things, when you go back through it again, you catch something you didn't see on the first time. And my hope is that we see that thing under the surface that can give you hope today, literally could give you hope today. It won't be a surprise that even as I was writing the sermon, people like Billy Duke, Jay Jones, they were in my mind. And so in some ways, Mary, this is a sermon even for you. Um, and I have a feeling all of us will be in a situation like those two men suffering, struggling right now, uh, and their spouses and families waiting out what will come of this sickness. But I had that right in my mind as I was walking back through it. Uh, and I had planned. This was the way we were going to pull off week three of the series. It just had application uh, in, a, in a way I didn't expect. So we're going to go back through Psalm 105. Now just, just so we know where, where we've been and where we're going, let's get that summary. We've read this summary every time up to this point in our five-week series. Here it is. This is the summary of, of, of these three psalms. Psalm 104, 105, and 106, they make up a three-part song that tell us about God's greatness in creation, His faithfulness to His people, the wickedness of their rebellion, and the hope of salvation. This is Israel singing their history. It is them reflecting on their God and their history singing their story. And again, I think it will teach us how we sing our story. Now, last week we stepped into Psalm 105. 105 comes on the heels of 104. 104 is the first part of that three-part song that declares the Lord is creator and sustainer. And then right on the heels of that with Psalm 105, we saw that the Lord is faithful. He keeps His promises. That's what we saw last week. 
And we noted that right there in, in, the heart, in the heart of Psalm 105 is a declaration that God keeps His promises. Not just any promise, He keeps His promise to Abraham. It was that moment God said, I will make a covenant with this man and his family to save the world. Someone coming through his family to bless everyone. Just so we can be locked in on that promise. Genesis 2, uh, 12, verse 2, uh, 2 and 3. I will make you, this is what God says to Abraham, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great. And you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Through you. All right, there it is. So Psalm 105 picks up on that and builds a song. Builds part of the, this, this history that God keeps His promises. Just take a look. We're just want, this is the meat. This is the thing that's bracketed in Psalm 105. Psalm 105, 8, 9, and then 42 and 43. He remembers His covenant forever. The promise He made for a thousand generations. The covenant He made with Abraham. The oath He swore to Isaac. And then we drop to verse 42. For He remembered His holy promise given to His servant Abraham. He brought out His people with rejoicing His chosen ones with shouts of joy. When God makes a promise, He keeps it. That is the promise He gave to Abraham to bless all people. And then, after going through a lot of stuff, they get to a point in their history where they remember that promise, and they look back and they see God keeping that promise over and over again. And so, as when they get to this part in the song, they declare God has been faithful to that promise. And then the meat, uh, the, at least the content between those two brackets that make up the theme of that psalm, Israel, the people of Israel just rehearse. They just sing about all the different ways that God has actually kept that promise to Abraham. What we know is that God ultimately keeps that promise in Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, by dying on a cross and coming back to life for our sins. So that's, that's what's going on in Psalm 105. But what is underneath Psalm 105 is the thing I think we got to get to. It's the thing we never mentioned last week. It's what's behind that. These songs come out of a particular moment. You just don't sing songs out of nowhere. Songs don't emerge out of a vacuum. They come from somewhere. And so when the people of Israel write this section of this three-part song, they're in a particular place. The song book of Israel, the book of song, Psalms, comes from a particular context. You see, Israel's history is not rainbows and unicorns. It's not this just steady stream of prosperity. Israel's history is a roller coaster of seasons of waiting and suffering. Oh, they have their good moments. They have their rescues. But often they are waiting and suffering. Waiting and suffering. One commentary actually says, uh, when commenting on the whole of Psalm 105, that Psalm 105 is a response. It is Israel singing their response to their seasons in their history, in their story of waiting and suffering. It's a response. Uh, Israel has walked through some very hard times. Times where they're waiting on God to do what God said He would do are times of great suffering. Now, sometimes that suffering is brought on by their own sin. That's something we talk about next week. But often they are suffering. They're suffering because they live in the world. They are God's chosen people in an evil world. And they are waiting on God to work or they are suffering and wondering where He is. 
And so the theme of Psalm 105 is not just the Lord is faithful, He keeps His promises. There's something else right behind that. Here it is. This is, I think, the fuller theme of Psalm 105. The Lord is faithful and He keeps His promises even in the midst of waiting and suffering. This song didn't come out of nowhere. It comes out of a history of waiting and suffering. This same commentary actually suggests that Israel is responding, that this song is responding to Psalm 89, the end of Psalm 89. Now, I'm not sure if you know, but the book of Psalms is broken up into five sections. They're actually called books. Uh, So there's five books in the book of Psalms. If you have a Bible and you went to Psalm 90, you would see that Psalm 90 starts book four. Which means Psalm 89 is the end of book 3, or the third section of the book of Psalms. And the end of Psalm 89 is a cry to God. A lament. A lament, a cry of despair in a season of waiting and suffering. And Psalm 105 is coming right up at the end of the fourth section of the book of Psalms. So where book 3 ends with a cry of despair, the end of book 4 responds with God's faithfulness. So this commentator says that Psalm 89 is most likely in the forefront of Israel's mind as they cry out this response. That God is faithful. It's, it's a response to seasons of waiting and suffering. Let's take a look. Psalm 89. I want you to see exactly what it sounds like to cry out to God when you're waiting and suffering. They're, they're wondering when God and how will God fulfill the promises He's made. He's made them to Abraham, and at this point He's made them to David too, King David. Check this out. Psalm 89, we'll pick up with verse 40. You have broken through all His walls and reduced His stronghold to ruins. All who pass by have plundered Him. He has become the scorn of His neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of His foes. This is God's people's foes. You have made all of his enemies rejoice. Indeed, you have turned back the edge of his sword. You have not supported him in battle. You have put down, put an end to his splendor and cast his throne to the ground. You have cut short the days of his youth. You have covered him with a mantle of shame. How long, O oh Lord, will you hide your face forever? Will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how fleeting my life is. For what futility you have created all humanity. Who can live and not see death? Or who can escape the power of the grave? Lord, where is your former great love? Which is your faithfulness you swore to David. Remember, Lord, how your servant has been mocked, how I bear in my heart the taunts of all nations, the taunts with which your enemies, Lord, have mocked, with which they have mocked every step of your anointed one. I feel like that is a cry we all understand. How long, Lord? How long? Will you hide yourself forever? You ever felt like God's hiding from you? Why, God? Why suffering? Why now? Why to me? Why this long? Where are you? He says, where is your former great love? I thought you were faithful. Where are you? 
Psalm 105 comes in behind that and says, ah, God's faithful. He'll show up. He's always shown up. But it never usually happens when we think it should, does it? You see, this tension inside of Psalm 105, this response to seasons of waiting and suffering, this declaration, God is faithful even when you're waiting and suffering, this isn't anything new to God's people. And here I want to take you on a small tour through the first part of Genesis, where God actually promises to bless the world through Abraham. Now, you would think that when God talks to an old man that he will have a child, that it's coming really quick. He may have laid with her that night, thinking that within nine months, here's the promise. A new baby born. Nothing could be farther from the truth. The story of Abraham is all about waiting and suffering. The, the very person God makes a promise to takes a long time to work it all out. Here, let's take that journey. So, Abraham was... 75 years old when he called him from the land in Haran to what it would, we would call today the Palestine. 75 years old. You're going to have a kid through you. Now, the problem at that point was Abraham and Sarah didn't have children. And they were older in age. Probably weren't having any kids at that point. But God now has just said, I want you to go to this land. I'm going to give you a child. That means through your seed, a promise is coming. All right. Well, then we better get on it. And I'm sure they were. I'm not speaking about anything else here. I'm just saying, realistically, something's going on to try to fulfill the promise. But after many years, nothing happens. And then God encounter, God and Abraham have an encounter. Now, at this point, his name is still Abram, but I'm just saying Abraham to make it easy to follow the story. Check out Genesis 15, 1-4. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. And then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. After many years, Abraham still doesn't understand. Okay, God, I hear it. I'm here. I, I, you have repeated your promise, but I got a problem. I'm still childless. Childless. And I imagine that after all those years, month after month trying to have a kid, there was both long waiting, and I imagine there was suffering. The suffering of infertility after all those years. What is God doing? Well, a lot, several more years go on. And eventually, the waiting and the suffering become so great that eventually they just take things into their own hand. Genesis 17, uh, 16, verses 1 through 4. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar, and so she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abraham agreed to what Sarai said, and so after Abram and had been living in Canaan ten years. Sarai's wife took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar born him Ishmael. He was 75 years old when he gets the call. Now, after 11 years, a baby shows up, and it's from 
his wife's slave. You women, can you imagine to have husbands? Can you imagine giving your husband away to another woman so that you can have a baby so that you can make sure God's promise works out? That's usually not how we think God works. This is what's happening after all those years of waiting and suffering. Ten long years. Imagine what was happening at year eight. She wasn't ready to do it yet. Year nine, still not ready, but year ten, something broke inside Sarah. He said, I'm going to make sure this thing gets fulfilled. And then Ishmael's born, and you know what happens? There's more waiting, more waiting, and more suffering. What we know is that there is great tension between Sarah and Hagar. This isn't a, a blessed home. And after 13 years, 13 years, here's what happens. Genesis, now we'll go to Genesis 17. It's a long passage. I'm just taking an excerpt. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him. Abram fell face down. God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful, and I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you. As for Sarai, your wife, you will no longer call her Sarai. You, her name will be Sarah. And I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. You will call him Isaac. My covenant will, will be, will establish, my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you, will bear to you by this time next year. And then, Genesis 21. Genesis 21, verse 1 and 2. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Nearly 25 years between promise and fulfillment. 25 years. You see, God will fulfill his promise, but he often does not do it on our timetable. He sure didn't do it on Abram's timetable. But God came through and God fulfilled the promise. And this is a very important lesson for us. Even with Abraham, this man of God with whom he establishes a covenant that will last forever, we get in on that covenant. 25 years between promise and fulfillment. You don't think those were hard 25 years? It included a man sleeping with another woman to try to fulfill it on their own. This was not a cakewalk. This was a time of waiting and suffering. Who would have thought you would end up at chapter 21 when the promise was in verse tw uh, chapter 12? I'd be expecting promise and fulfillment, same chapter. What do we do when we pray for someone sick? We expect... We expect healing. Boom. Just like that. Often that's not how God's working. It usually takes several chapters in between. 25 years. And so I think we, we nail down on this big principle here. God doesn't stop His people from walking through seasons of waiting and suffering, but He never forsakes them while they walk. You know who keeps showing up to Abraham? Even in those, Abraham, even in all those years of waiting and suffering, God keeps showing up. He never left them. And you know what? For Sarah, she thought he did. But he never did. 
That's very important for us. And so when you, when you get to the point of crying out Psalm 89, God, where are you? Have you hid yourself? Where is your faithfulness? I've gone to church my whole life. I've been a good person. Now, we could deal with all of that theologically, but when you feel like you've not done anything wrong and yet everything's going, everything is going south, and that's kind of how you end it. That's how book, four, book three ends in the book of Psalms. You and I have to get to the end of book four. We have to get to Psalm 105.8. He remembers his covenant forever, the promise he made for a thousand generations. You and I cannot, we never stop. We never stop at, verse 80, at Psalm 89. We always drive through to Psalm 105. Do you remember our song as Christians? Do you remember we, de- we, we, we reviewed it last week? As Christians, we have a song that deals with God's faithfulness. Remember that song? Take a look. Romans 8, 38-39. Paul says this, For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, you know what, that, what, what our song doesn't involve? It doesn't involve a promise that there will be no waiting or suffering. It doesn't matter how deep your life goes. It doesn't matter how dark the valley. You're not going to be separated from the love of Christ. It doesn't matter how great things go. You will not be separated from the love of Christ. It doesn't matter if demons show up. You won't be separated from the love of Christ. You, you know, behind that, that song, behind those verses, is the truth. That you may just go through the darkest valley. God's not keeping you from going through it. Paul's not saying in Christ no suffering ever comes. Actually, in Christ there is much suffering. But don't you worry. He will never let go. He's not going to separate you from the love of Christ. Because it is through Christ that the fulfillment, to the pro- the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham comes. All blessings come through Christ Jesus. Remember, all the promises are yes in Jesus. And when you are in Jesus, you get it all. But it's not a cakewalk. It's not unicorns and rainbows. It's waiting and suffering. Our song is not one of perpetual prosperity. It is one of walking through valleys. But no matter the valley, no matter the height, no matter the angel or the demon, nothing will separate you from the love of Christ. He will not let go. It may feel like year 14 and you've been in it for a long time. Year 25 is coming. And it will come for all believers. You can see how that metaphor, we could keep running that metaphor. You may feel like you're at chapter 15. You'll get to chapter 21. You may feel like Psalm 89. But you need to declare Psalm 105. Well, I feel like that's just ready made for me to slide right into the application. Here's where I think it gets on the ground. I just want to run that metaphor one more time. I think the application for us is that we have to learn to declare Psalm 105 after we cry Psalm 89. So I want to be real clear on this. Like where this fits in our life is you are allowed to cry out, where are you, God? If God had a problem with us coming to Him with our struggles, Psalm 89 would not show up in God's inerrant word. But we are allowed to cry out, where are you, God? You ever felt that? I know I have felt it. 
What are you doing, God? Where are you and why is this happening? And even when the outcome seems to be permanent, it is not. God's promises do not stop with Psalm 89. So I want us to know it's okay to cry out to God. If you are upset, then go tell God. If you don't know where He is, go tell God. We should never stop there. And so in some ways, this application is a little bit more abstract than I like. But the reason it is, is because every one of us has had our Psalm 89 moment. And you might be going through it right now. And I want us to be trained in the way of Jesus to never stop at verse at Psalm 89. Never stop with the where are you, God. Always push through to Psalm 105. He remembers His covenant forever. The promise He made for a thousand generations. You always go there. We always go there. One of my favorite passages, 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18. We've prayed it as a prayer. You've seen it in front of you as Scripture. This morning I just want to put it in front of you as Scripture. The Apostle Paul is doing this all the time. Training these Christians to keep truth in focus. Take a look. Here's what I think it looks like to put Psalm 105 after Psalm 89. Here it is. He says this, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away. Can just you allow me to stop? I guess you're not going to stop me, right? So I almost feel like I need like, I, you're not going to see me on screen, but like if I had a whiteboard, you can see I'm a little excited. If we had a whiteboard, if I could just draw here for you. Though we are wasting away is the Psalm 89 moment. It's the where are you, God? Things are falling apart. It's the moment where you're walking through the valley of the shadow of the death. It's the moment where a spouse is in an ICU unit. It's the moment where a spouse is dying of cancer. It's the moment where you lose a kid and you think your world is falling apart. It's the moment you've lost your job and you don't know what, what, what your next step is. It's the moment where everything is, seems lost. That's Psalm 89. That's chapter. That's Genesis chapter 16 when you give your husband to a slave so she can have a baby with your husband. That's Wasting away. Alright. I think it's all there. I want to get closer to the screen because I just, I just, I feel like I need to be closer. Yet, as he says, as though we are outly wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. That's Psalm 105. For our light and momentary troubles, that's Psalm 89 are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. That's Psalm 105. For we fix our eyes not on what is seen. You don't fix your eyes on the valley. But what is, on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. You get your eyes on Psalm 105. And for us as Christians, we put our eyes on the cross and the resurrection. While you were still dead, Christ died for you. That means He will not let go. Take that to the bank. You may lose everything. Give it a hundred years. And in Christ, it will all be okay. I'm closer to maybe 70 years. Give me 70 years and everything will be okay. Some of you are going to be closer to maybe 30 years. And everything will be okay. Young babies being born, you may give them a hundred. But at some point in the near future... For every follower of Jesus, it is well. 
and it will always be well. And so we land on Psalm 105 because Psalm 89 never has the end of the story. That's our song. All right. Here's our next step. It's a pretty practical one, I think. Fill in the blank. Although, whatever your blank there is, the Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful. Although I lost my job, the Lord is faithful. That means He'll give you a job the next day. But He will be faithful until you keep walking. I don't know what that is for you. And honestly, and I have this in my manuscript, so I'm just going to say it. I understand this sermon doesn't hit all of you the same. I get it. Some of you are doing really well. Praise God that you are doing well. But all of us will hit a moment where we need this. All of us. Because you live in the world. So we land on Psalm 105.8 after we cry out Psalm 89. That's where, that's where I think that all that's in Psalm 105. That's something we had talked about last week. I felt it was good to maybe go back through it again. Although you're going through whatever, the Lord is faithful. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your faithfulness to us, particularly in Christ Jesus, our Savior. Not only is Jesus brilliant, not only is he full of authority and majesty, not only is he reigning as you put his enemies under his feet, he is Savior. And he will not let go of any of the sheep. So we lean in on our song that no matter height nor depth, angels or demons, present or future, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. We thank you for that. Would you encourage anyone needing encouragement right now in the promise of your faithfulness? And would you, please, please, would you bury this in the people that don't need it right now, but will need it in a year, two, three years? And may they remind, remember that even though they go through Psalm 89, that there is encouragement in Psalm 105. And that is the end of our story. We thank you all under his authority, our Savior Jesus. And together we say, Amen.